HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And today we're talking about re-regionalizing our food system. Uh, I had a f- occasion to read a very interesting economic analysis uh, of Nyman Ranch farms in the state of Iowa uh, and how they contribute to the local economy in a way that concentrated animal feeding operations cannot and do not. So with me to discuss this is the author of that report. His name is Dave Swenson. He is a research scientist in the Department of Economics for the Iowa State University, as well as a lecturer for the School of Urban and Regional Planning and Public Policy for the University of Iowa. And with him is the excellent Ron Marston, who has been growing pigs for Nyman Ranch for 19 years. He's also a field agent for Nyman Ranch and a mentor for young farmers and the host with the most if you are ever lucky enough to go to the Nyman Ranch Farmer Appreciation Weekend. Um, Ron is often the host for the first night of that event, and it's, it is a a fine time is had by all, I guarantee you. So gentlemen, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, Dave, I want you to start off uh, by explaining what the study is that you conducted on the economic contributions of Nyman Ranch Farms um, to the state of Iowa as compared to um, conventional hog production. Like, you know, to help us understand what your findings were and why this is of import to people. Okay. Well, Hog production is a major industry in Iowa. It's one of the largest contributors to output in the farm sector in the state of Iowa. So it's you know it's something that weighs very very heavily both on policymakers' minds as well as rural economies. But the big question with regard to hog production is how much does hog production in and of itself add value? to the regional economy. Now, the corn's already grown. That's a given. The reason we we raise hogs is because we have lots of corn. The reason we are the nation's leader in in egg production is because we have lots of feed. So we have the feed here, but what we really want to know is when when we're raising hogs, what's the economic impact? Now, we use a modeling system to measure this. This modeling system is populated with very detailed characteristics of the Iowa economy. So that modeling system that I use, um, that I've been using for three decades, has a lot of information, but it is heavily weighted 
by conventional uh, hog production. And that conventional hog production is just basically large operators. I'll give you a statistics here. Great. With we have hog farms in Iowa with with animal sales of 5,000 or more in 2017 during the last ag census, they were 41% of the farms, but they accounted for 91% of the hogs and pigs that were sold. And if I flip it around, 60% of the hog farmers in Iowa only sell 10% of the total pigs that are sold. So you can see the degree to which this industry is concentrated. Well, I want to contrast this industry with Nyman Ranch. Nyman Ranch is is a completely different type of model. The the standard model in Iowa is confined animal feeding operations. They're CAFOs. There are many thousands of animals that are produced on a single small area of land over over a period of time. They're very, very large. They're highly industrialized. They're highly mechanized. The Mm -hmm. inputs are mechanized. I'm talking in terms of feed. The output with regard to manure, that's highly mechanized. Everything is, is a very, very efficient system where you have a small amount of labor producing a large amount of hogs. In contrast, the Nyman system isn't like that. It's not a confinement system. It's a different type of model, and Ron will tell us about the model. So let me tell yes. you what the, what the economic impacts are that, that I was able to measure in this study, and then we can explain why they're, they're different. But if I, I, I have to standardize this. I have to compare apples with apples. Of course. And so I needed to compare them per 100,000 marketed animals. So I need, I need a, a, a foundation. So for conventional hogs, after we produce all of our hogs, um, 100,000 hogs, it generates in the whole economy about almost $24 million worth of output. That's basically sales. Okay. And within that output, it, it, it requires 115 job holders to produce that output. That For 100,000 marketed animals, it takes about 115 total jobs. 67 on the farm, another 23 from the input suppliers, and then another okay. 24 in what we call Main Street effects when everybody spends their paycheck. Now, I want to contrast that with Nyman Ranch hogs. We're producing 100,000, again, marketed animals, in producing that 100,000 marketed animals, we actually have $41.7 million worth of total output in the regional economy as compared to 23.9 for the conventional farmers. That they are, they are producing a total of 290 jobs compared to 115 jobs in the conventional right. system. And they have many more jobs on the farm. There's 206 jobs on the farm compared to 67 jobs on the conventional system. So you can see across the board, both in terms of total output, in terms of the number of jobs created, and then we have another measure. It's called value added. It's the same thing as GDP, gross domestic product. In the Nyman model, that 100,000 hogs produces about $17.8 million worth of value added. In the conventional uh, hog production, it's about $11.8 million. So you can see that across the board, per 100,000 marketed animals, the Nyman model has a much stronger economic impact in the areas within which they're producing. Right, right. So Ron, just so people understand, can you just take people through why the Nyman Ranch model is different from conventional 
industrialized hog farming and and then we'll talk more about these economic impacts because those are big numbers big sure. big dis, a big disparity between uh what you know the financial implications of one model versus the other so so ron tell us about nyman ranch what, what do you do that's different sure i'd be glad to uh nyman ranch is a number of ways that that we raise our pigs that are much much different than the current uh, commodity pork production model for instance nyman ranch is what we call a never ever program. This means that the pigs that are raised for Nyman Ranch, well, they're never fed antibiotics of any kind or animal byproducts of any kind. While the yeah. emphasis today has been moving away from antibiotics use in recent years, uh, that has affected the pork industry, but it has not moved away from the use of, of animal byproducts. And it is still a widely really? accepted practice. Yes. Uh, another big difference, I think, um, to the Nyman Ranch system is that our pigs are either raised outside on pasture or in deeply bedded pens. Now, most uh, commodity pigs are raised inside in cramped quarters and sleep on cold, hard concrete slats. Right. Uh, you know, right now there's a lot of discussion around the use of gestation crates. And, of course, you mm -hmm. guys know that a, a gestation crate is nothing more than a small, cramped cage where a pregnant sow is squeezed into for the entire length of her, her pregnancy. The commodity pork model uses gestation crates, but Nyman Ranch has never allowed gestation crates of any kind and never will. Ron, why, why do you need to confine a pregnant sow? I mean, I, I've heard the arguments for a farrowing sow. Oh, she'll kill the piglets, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't want her rolling over. But it, for, to gestate to, you know, during the pregnancy of the pig, why does she need to be confined? Why is that a better model? You're asking the wrong person. I'm asking, you're, asking the wrong, no, but, you're asking the wrong person. I don't think they need to be confined. I suppose some no, no, of their arguments. But why would why, what is the argument in favor of that? That's what I don't understand. It's like well, why it's, would yeah, there's, anybody there's think probably that's several, a good idea. several different tiers if you stop and think about that. First off, it's economies of size. I mean, uh, if you put a sow in the bare minimum amount of space you need for her, you can put more sows in a space. So from economies okay. of size, that makes more sense. And another yep. one is that you do away with the issue of a boss sow or a bully sow that tends to pick on the more the more timid, the smaller, and 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 the less dominant okay. individuals. Right, and that happens quite often. I think when animals are confined in too small a space and can't get exactly. away from each other, is that yep. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and so, what else besides the never and the animal byproduct thing? That's a new one on me. And you know, I wrote a book about industrialized agriculture. So, okay. I mean, animal mm -hmm. agriculture. But I was not aware that there is a lot of animal byproduct in conventional pork feed. Oh yeah. What, what exactly yeah, are you referring to there? Well, for instance, let's talk about uh, blood and blood meal, byproducts of the okay. of the packing industry. You know, we see a lot of blood and blood meal and that type of product in in little uh -huh. pig feeds. Uh, it's it's very digestible. It's protein. And it, it meets a lot of the yeah, it meets a lot of the nutritional requirements. Uh, okay. Then there are other byproducts. There's there's feather meal, for instance, right. uh, that can be used, and then there's pork meat and bone meal that can be used. Uh, it's, wow. it's it's an efficient way to get rid of these products that they otherwise wouldn't have a good home for. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail the discussion, no but that, problem. that was no problem. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I've heard of using poultry litter as feed, but I thought that was more cattle than pigs. So, anyway, it is. You know, it is. Not that it's not that it's acceptable on any level, but you know, whatever. Talk about the yuck factor. I mean, woo, that is nasty. Um, okay. So, so you have, uh, the animals are uh, deeply bedded uh, in hoop houses or out on pasture or both. Um, what else? You guys have a whole system of like field inspectors. I know you act in that role yourself sometimes. Talk about that. Like how do you help your farms um, 
you know, ab- abide by the Nyman Ranch protocols? Well, well, one of the one of the four uh, pillars that Nyman Ranch goes by is humane animal care, and right. we have gone above and beyond virtually anybody else in the industry in terms of how we care for the animals and how we monitor the the folks that that work on our small independent family farms. Um, Nyman Ranch has a series of what they call field agents, which are folks that go around and visit each and every farm within the system three or four times a year. They evaluate the animals. They make sure that they're being raised according to the Nyman Ranch protocols, which are based on the um, humane animal care. Uh, they also evaluate the feedstuffs to make sure that there are none of these animal byproducts that we just talked about in the feed. Right. They do are those also cheaper? Help. Pardon? It's cheaper to feed those products, I'm guessing, it than it be, is yes. to feed grain. Yes. Okay. Correct. You're dead on there. And then okay. they, they also help with um, vaccination protocols. You know, Nyman Ranch does not let anybody uh, feed antibiotics to the pigs that are going to be turned around and sold to Nyman. So part of the job of the field agent is to help the farmers make sure that they can do everything and anything that is available to them to keep those pigs as healthy as possible so that right. they do not get sick. Right. Well, not being all stuck together in a small concrete pen is one great way to not let your pigs get sick. But, yeah, whatever. I use the analogy. You stop and think about it. I mean, it's in the fall of the year when the kids go back to school. They've been running around the summer, you know, yeah. outside, fresh air, all this and that. And then we cram them all in tight quarters in a schoolhouse. And guess what happens? They get sick. Right. Right. And, it's, and it's, then they bring it's it no home. Yeah. confinement building. Sure, absolutely. So, um, and is there anything else we should know about Nyman Ranch versus conventional hog farming that makes it more, I don't know, that, you know, that strikes you as especially different? Um, I mean, you've basically outlined a completely different model, but I'm just wondering if there's any other information we should be giving people. Um, so there's no antibiotics, no animal byproducts, uh, open, open housing, um, animal welfare standards that are higher than the norm. Um, I think that sounds I would, about I would, right. Oh, I would add wait, one, more, one, yeah. one more caveat okay, to that, if you don't mind. I mean, I think the way that Nyman Ranch takes care of its farmers is second to none. Thank you. That was what I was trying to get at. Yeah, 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 I yeah. I do not know of any other uh, company that has set such high standards and high goals to protecting and defending the family farm. I don't know of any company that works as hard to make sure that they uh, enable those farmers to have a profit. I mean... Everything about Nyman Ranch is about sustainability. It's about the family farm. It's about the care and the welfare of the animals. I don't know of another company the size of Nyman Ranch that over the course of the last 15, 20 years has generated over $1 million in scholarships that they give to the children of the Nyman Ranch farmers. It just Well, that is true. That's the company. But that's, I mean, I think what we want to get at here, though, is the fact that Nyman Ranch, unlike any other conventional industrialized animal agricultural company guarantees a price point per pound before the pigs go to slaughter. Correct. Right? Correct. I mean, that is the game changer for any farmer in you know, in my limited experience of talking to people in the in the agricultural community, like knowing that you're going to make $3 and 22 cents per pound you know, ahead of the game allows you to actually figure out where you can expand or what, you know, make a repair you might need and weren't sure you're going to have the money for or whatever it is that you need. But that to me sounds like the real game changer. Well, I, I would even, I would even add to that. You said before the, before you start raising the pig, I think that Nyman Ranch enables the farmers to realize what uh, the margins are going to be or what the margins will be on those pigs almost a year ahead of time. 
Wow. So, I mean, yeah. that I, I don't know of any other company in the industry that's willing to tell, go to that length or go to that extreme. But another thing, and, that, and this one I know sets Nyman Ranch apart from everybody else, is Nyman Ranch has that price. But in the event, for whatever reason, grain prices go through the roof, if they right. spike something like they did last year, Nyman right. will elevate those prices, that signed contract that the farmer has signed to. They will go above and beyond that in what they call a matrix to make sure and enable that that farmer has the same margin at that high grain price that he would have had at a normal grain price. You find me a meat company that does that and I will be surprised. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. So Dave, let's go back to you for a second. Why, you know, why did we see such a difference between, uh, you know, the hundred weight prices um, between conventional pork production and Nyman ranch? You cited $67 and 61 cents versus Nyman Ranch bringing in $97.93 per hundredweight. So how do they they do that? Is it because you charge more money? Nyman Ranch is able to charge more for their products? Or is it, you know, or they're making more pigs? I don't, you know, I I couldn't figure that out quite from the report. Okay, well, first of all, the Nyman Ranch pig is is a premium product and people are willing to pay more for the premium product. And that has to do just simply with all of the things that Ron just talked about. Ron just talked about all of the attributes that many consumers value. They're willing to pay more for those attributes. So that's number one. But number two, of course, is that those, those pigs take take more time, more effort, more labor, and more money to produce. Um, They cannot be produced as efficiently as a confined animal system. It's a slower process. It's a more labor-intensive process. You're going to pay more more labor uh, payments. You're also buying your feed and seed somewhat uh, feed differently than, than than, than what might be the case in, in the other systems. Um, so all of it, 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 it basically is, it costs more to raise this animal and plus the guaranteed margins right. that are, are given to the farmers. You add it all together, they're going to get more for this animal. Right, right. And Ron, just so people understand, like in a conventional uh, confinement operation, a hog grows to slaughter weight in, I don't know what, six months or less, whereas uh, Nyman Ranch or an open, you know, an animal that is not being given growth promotants, as in prophylactic antibiotics or um, beta agonists like ractopamine or something like that. So they're not getting any of those drugs that promote rapid growth. So how long does it take you to raise a hog as compared to a conventional raise? Raised, conventional well, if, if, for instance, if you would say a conventional hog can go to market anywhere from 150 to 180 days, or let's say between five and six months, I would say right. a Diamond Ranch hog would be anywhere from 180 to 210 days. So you're basically adding about another month onto the to the time it takes to finish that. Right. Day. And that's a significant feed cost, obviously. Yes, sure. Yes, and of is. course, as, as they get bigger, they eat more, right? So, Correct. and you know, Dave, one thing I wondered about when I was reading your thing, um, I, the, in the conventional hog production, the, you were talking about their waste product being mechanized and like they, you know, sweep it through the slats and it goes into the manure lagoons and all that stuff, um, which my my listeners are like incredibly sick of hearing me talk about because <laughs> because I'm so outraged by this. But um, but it's, you know, those costs, those externalized costs of managing uh, dead carcasses and manure and stuff, those didn't get factored into your uh, economic report, if I'm not mistaken, or did you factor that in? 
Oh, no. those That's completely different from what I'm studying. Those other kinds of environmental consequences. Remember, the, 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 the manure has value. It is used as a nutrient. It is spread on the land. There are limits to how much the land can absorb. And if it's right. over-applied, then we do get externalities. And those externalities are usually translated into degraded water. And we have a right. horrible water quality problem here in Iowa yes, as a do. consequence of, of farming. Yes, you do. I've studied that quite extensively. I was a big fan of Bill Stowe. Um, and anybody who's listened to this show for a while knows I, when he was before he died, I interviewed him like three or four times at least about his you know, legal battle with the state of Iowa and the, you know, and the fact that that case was ultimately thrown out, but trying to get pork producers to shoulder their burden, uh, their fair share of costs in terms of trying to, you know, clean up the water problems. It was you know, really shocking. Now, anyway, I digress. So there is another big difference, Dave, uh, in the labor required. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because um, so it's you said 114 jobs or something like that versus 200 and something jobs in uh Actually, right here, it says model defaults of 67 per 100,000 animals, whereas Nyman Ranch uh, translates into about 206 jobs per 100,000 animals. So that in and of itself has a huge impact. Explain to us how that manifests in terms of a local economy. Yeah, well, first of all, the reason there's more jobs is because these animals just simply require more labor or more labor hours per animal. So when we were working through this, we were trying to figure out what are the number of hours per animal from, from birth to finish. And it basically worked out to 206 jobs. Now, we have a second number there. We have to go all the way up to 290 jobs. It's called the indirect effect. And the indirect effect is based on the probability that uh, that they're going to buy inputs from the regional or the in-state market. The indirect job effect in Nyman is 40 more jobs, whereas in the conventional system, it's just 23 more jobs. So you see Nyman links much more strongly with the state's economy in terms of requiring necessary inputs. And then we have one last round. Everybody takes their paycheck. Everybody whose job was affected by hog production, they -hmm. take their paycheck and they spend it locally. They spend it on Main Street. They buy houses. They buy movie theater tickets. They buy everything that you need to buy to, to live in a household. In the Nyman system, that induces another 44 jobs compared to the conventional system. It only induces 25 jobs. So when you add all of those job impacts up, not only do you have more jobs to start with, you have more jobs in the multiplier effects as it moves through the economy. Right, right. Very interesting. And Ron, how does that parse out for a farmer? Because if you have to pay more labor, um, how are you able to make a better margin, even if you're getting a better price from Nyman for your pigs than a conventional hog farmer, that's still a, a quite a significant added cost to your, uh, you know, to your financial equation. How does that work for you guys? Like why, you know, <laughs> like does, does it, how do you still make money is what, my question. Well, <laughs> Kate, Katie, let me start by saying that, you know, labor isn't the only cost associated with raising a pig. Anybody that's no, ever course. been around pigs understands that. I mean, the feed that that pig eats represents uh, probably about 70% of the cost of producing that pig. Sure. Um, the cost of the buildings pigs are raised in uh, is it also represents a huge chunk of, of most of the cost of producing that pig, you know, huh. like, for instance, if I were to build a, a CAFO, a confined animal feeding operation today, it could easily cost in excess of $750,000. Huh. 
Yes, indeed. I don't know about you, but that's not exactly pocket change to this old boy. Um, see, <laughs> in the Nyman Ranch system, farmers can utilize existing farm buildings that are already on the farm uh, to help gotcha. lower the finishing cost. And we can also use finishing structures like hoop buildings that are relatively inexpensive to put up. These little right. things like that are one way, you know, to keep the, uh, the production costs down. But hey, and this right. is a big one, don't underestimate the advantage uh, of that extra labor requirement. More labor needed translates into more time spent watching the pigs. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, yes. A quote that I was taught when I was a young man still rings true today. It says, the eye of the farmer fattens the pig. Uh, that's a very good saying. Yeah. Yep. So the more, yep. you're, the more you're engaged with the pigs, watching the pigs, monitoring the pigs, the better you can raise them, understand if there are problems arising before they become serious or spread. Exactly. All exactly. of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that yeah, makes all exactly. kinds of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there was another quote in that um, in that report, Dave, that I thought was really interesting. This is really a question for Ron. But, but the quote was, because there is a shift away from making profits payments to investors who may or may not be Iowa residents and towards paying profits to Nyman Ranch owners, all of whom are Iowa residents. So so that obviously is a big piece of the of what Dave was saying earlier about how money gets funneled right back into the community through people having more money in their pockets to spend locally. I don't know who's, I don't know. That's not really a question. It's just like, um, so, but let me ask you this, Ron, why wouldn't more hog farmers then use your model? If they're a going to make more money, B guaranteed, you know, a uh, better, uh, a better price point. C can raise pigs in a way that is, you know, far more satisfactory as a human being um, and so forth. Is that because uh, it's a land access issue and it's easier to build a confinement uh, scenario? I mean, I, you know, okay, yeah, you take out a loan for $750,000, but there's all kinds of credit unions that are dying for you to do that, right? I mean, they're all subsidized by the big companies. So uh, I, I don't understand why everybody doesn't do what you're doing, Ron. Explain. Well, I <laughs> I think by describing some of the challenges that are inherent to Nyman Ranch, I can basically answer all these questions pretty okay. easy. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. See, the key to making Nyman, the Nyman Ranch system work uh, on a farm of any scale uh, is first and foremost, you have to have a commitment. The commitment to producing the finest tasting meat in the world, but you also need to have a commitment to raising those animals with the most humane care possible. I mean, neither one of these can be done from a desk that's a thousand miles away from the farm. In the Nyman Ranch system, you just can't throw a switch and walk away. We're right. dealing with living animals in a living natural environment. You know, there's no such thing as a weekend off in the Nyman system. Our no. roles and our commitments take 100% of our time. Right, At right. At the end of the day, guys, this system relies on good old fashioned stockmanship to succeed. Right. So, that's why not everybody is cut out to do that, right? I Correct. mean, that's essentially what you're right. saying is plenty yeah. of people don't see that they want to make that commitment, uh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's take a short break and then we're going to come back. And uh, Dave, we're going to ask you uh, about scaling this up. So um, stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back uh, with Ron Marston and Dave Swenson uh, talking about raising pigs uh, in two different methods and why it's important for uh, the rural economy. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. 
Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Okay, so uh, Dave, or Ron, Dave, um, if we know from your report that a, a model like the Nyman Ranch model ends up being a benefit to local and state economies, first of all, how can we scale that to become a larger source of pork production um, and start chipping away at the bigger companies? Uh, is that even a possibility? Does it make sense, or, is, or are we confined? Are we confined to confinement because there's just a, you know, finite amount of farmland available? Um, but if we could scale it up, what, you know, what what would you see as uh, a, the direction that people should go in, and or you know, that farmers could take to make that work? Well, one of the problems that we have is that the current conventional model is still. Um, it, it, it still weighs in heavily within the overall market, meaning consumers still demand cheaply produced pork. Yeah. Large systems are able to capitalize on mean, reasonable profits because of economies of scale. And the integrating systems, they still are dominating this. And so what they're doing at Nyman is, you know, for lack of a better word, it, it's a niche market designed to satisfy the demand of a particular set of discerning consumers now now so and it's it's a little bit more land intensive it's much more right. labor intensive all of those things mitigate against scaling up so my thoughts on this are that systems like nyman um, involve much more in terms of behavioral change as opposed to economic change, mm. how much can they entice? How much can they recruit? How much can they attract uh, a new kind of farmer to perhaps what we would think of as an old kind of hog production, an old right. fashioned type of hog production. And the degree to which they're able to do that, I think is being represented right now in the, in the Nyman model and the degree to which they're able to, attract from what I can tell a wide range of different kinds of producers from very, very small to reasonably large um, mm -hmm. in all kinds of different circumstances. And I think that is that is a that is a model right now for for scaling up that involves relationships much more than economics. Right. And then but it would also involve, I mean ultimately as I'm thinking this thinking about this in my own feeble way, um, you know, you're going to have to have some legislative, uh, I, to me, it always comes down to legislation. You're going to have to have some legislative uh, fix here where, um, for instance, you have to limit the number of CAFOs that can be in any particular area and have it balanced with some other form of, of animal agriculture. I don't know. I mean, I'm completely making this up right now, but, but they're, they're, you know, 
there or, or there's more sort of subsidies for farms like Nyman as opposed to subsidizing, uh, you know, farms that are run by Smithfield. Um, you know, it's like there has to be some kind of intervention. And I know farmers don't like that, but um, maybe if it was interventions that would help them uh, resist the concentrated model and go f if they were able to go more towards a Nyman Ranch model. And then at the same time, uh, you know, engage in some sort of public education program. I don't, you know, that's that's complete pie in the sky. Yeah, but well, I, I would I would argue that we certainly need policy development that does limit the either the size of CAFOs or the distribution of CAFOs. One of the things that we do have is we do have um, obvious environmental constraints and that the land can only carry so much manure. Absolutely point in time. And if the CAFOs are allowed to be over-concentrated in specific geographic areas like Northwest Iowa, where the manure applications are significantly in excess of what the land needs to pr pr you know, produce corn profitably and productively, of course, um, at some point, those kinds of constraints need to be put in. But we, we also have to acknowledge the incredible power of the pork industry with regard to making sure that any kinds of limits and or policies are developed that interfere with the with the current um, their current systems. That's they, right. They, yeah. they wield extraordinary power in a state like Iowa. There yeah. isn't Republican or Democrat. There isn't you know there's there isn't a legislator who's willing to truly take on some of these big issues with regard to agriculture. Right. And it's amazing how compliant the population is as well. I actually interviewed a woman a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was, you know, not completely happy with her, but um, but she described a, a very systematic uh, regimen of intimidation and threats um, to, toward people who spoke out against industrialized hog farming and also uh, the inducements that they use routinely to get people, uh, rope them into, you know, building themselves a big hog confinement thing. And and that, that was an interesting, you know, take on the industry. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how, I, I had no way of corroborating what she said, but it was, um, you know, it was a very fascinating take on just how powerful the industry is in these smaller communities. Because people are, according to her, literally afraid to speak out because they might lose their job, you know, as a county clerk, or they might lose their job, you know, at Walmart, for God's sake, you know, if, if somebody in power speaks out against them to the boss in that place, and there's a reason for them to, you know, uh, toe the line, as it were. Anyway, I digress as usual. But um, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know how to break up the power of these guys, but I am amazed at how compliant citizens are with having, uh, you know, any number of these facilities located right near them. I mean, it drives your property values down. It contaminates the water, uh, it pollutes your air. I don't know how people can live like that. I really, I don't understand why there isn't more pushback from the citizenry. Um, but that, again, is another story. Um, we, what do you guys think needs to happen uh, in terms of trying to make a Nyman Ranch model or maybe even some sort of interesting hybridization of the two, uh, given the land mass problem, meaning that we don't have that much agricultural land. Like, what would you guys see as, as a path forward in terms of making a better, just overall improving animal agriculture in this country? For me, for me personally, there's a number of things that I think should change. First and foremost, I mean, you were talking about how complacent uh, uh, John Q. Public is in general. I think we need to emphasize and maybe even hammer into their heads 
uh, more education to make them more aware of what's going on. Uh, I am totally on the same page with Dave that we need to come up with some sort of a manure management strategy that limits the amount of manure that that can be applied. And consequently, yeah. I think that will el- eliminate and restrict the number of CAFOs and the, the density in the populations we see. Um, people need to be enlightened on the true quality and quantity and character of the way that pork is produced in this country. I mean, yeah. I have got a number of very, very good friends that produce pork in a, in a conventional confinement system. And they're great people and they're awesome people and they feel what they're doing is right. I'm not going to yes. pick a fight with them. I'm not going to argue with them. But I, I compare the way they raise pigs to the way that I raise pigs. And I, I know in my own mind's eye and in my own heart that what I'm doing is right for the pig. I mean, you right. talked earlier about the, the dichotomy within the Nyman Ranch system. We have farmers that sell us five pigs a year. And we have farmers right. that sell us several thousand pigs a year. And right. yet I can tell you with 100% certainty that the animals on that farm where there were five raised and those animals on that farm where there were several thousand raised had an equally awesome quality and character of life. And if we right. can do that within the Nyman system on that diverse scale, I don't see why we couldn't expect the confinement systems to belly up and put the standards in their faces, similar to the standards that we impose on, on the Nyman ranches of the world. Right. Right. I don't know what that would look like, but yes, I mean, you know, of course it would be nice to see, it would be nice. No, I think it's eventually going to become essential um, for, first of all, consumers to recognize that the era of cheap meat, uh, you know, three times a day has got to end. I mean, this cannot be sustained. And it's, you know, as it gains uh, power over the rest of the the world, literally uh, the environmental consequences of this conventional model are going to way far outweigh um, the, uh, the, the, the benefits of cheap meat. So, you know, right there, you, you have a compelling reason, you know, it's called climate change. We're all seeing it. Uh, you know, we were talking about the fact that it's going to be 70 degrees in Nebraska next week. I mean, that is crazy. It's December, you know, something has to change. And the, the conventional method is, uh, deeply polluting, uh, if nothing else, Never mind all of the other impacts of it. When you think in terms of humanely raising animals, too, we also get activities um, from other states. And we we have what's going on right now in in California, where indirectly it it advantages a certain type of hog production. And that's in California, they're going to ban the importation of of pork products that have not been raised within a certain set of of humane standards. And then... Conventional producers are squawking like crazy because <laughs> they say this doesn't this this is this is an impingement on their ability to make a profit. And if California is the largest consumer in the United States with regard to pork products, it's going to get their attention. Now, yes. you, you can say, well, you know, this is this is no. We've watched this happen before when California passed laws that fed with with regard to the, the, the how eggs were being produced. Yes, thank you. Iowa yes. egg producers, they. They made California houses. They, they right. subdivided their farm into California houses and non-California houses. And so this is one of the things where we do get some legislation, not necessarily national, not necessarily in our state, but mm-hmm. that does produce a positive outcome with regard to animal production in the state of Iowa. Right. So how likely do you guys think, uh, for example, uh, Tom Vilsack is going to be in terms of promote, say, promoting that kind of legislation uh, in other states? Uh, obviously, some states, 
you know, are not going to go there. But the Northeast would be, seems to me, ripe for the picking for that kind of legislation. I mean, we're pretty much on a par in terms of, you know, the whole sort of conscience about how our food is produced. I'd say the New England sector of the country, for instance, would be very, uh, you know, very open to that kind of legislation. Do you think Vilsack is going to be somebody who, a secretary of agriculture who would, uh, you know, thoughtfully promote those uh, ideals within uh, the within the government and also actively suggest to states that they perhaps consider those those types of uh, laws being passed. Well, I think what uh, Secretary Vilsack is going to try to do is to straddle both both uh, both movements, both the, yes. the large hog as well as what's going on here, as well as to not interfere with this, which is clearly a, a, a you know a federalism issue. You know, as California goes and with regard to environmental issues as well as humane. Uh, issues associated with humane animal production. So oftentimes goes Oregon and Washington. Right. Um, and again, you could very well get, as you said, the New England states um, piling in. At some point, it could be as large as 35, 40% of the, of the nation's population right. um, might be requiring this these kinds of considerations with regard to animal production. Well, that, that truly will change production because Two things are going to happen. One is you're not going to sell it if you can't sell it to them. You you may be able to export it, uh, but two, the prices have to go up. And if the prices go up, the prices will 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 will, will rise. If that is if that if those indeed are the standards, you're going to see higher prices because you're going to produce fewer animals, but more animals are going to be produced, aligning with those standards. Right. And and those farmers are going to make more money producing their animals and farmers like anybody else is going to seek as much profit as possible. Absolutely. And as you so, so, you know, brilliantly demonstrated in that economic report, um, this is not just good for animals and good for one, two, 10, 20 farmers, but this is good for an entire community because I think we've, you know, everyone who studies this issue at all knows just how much, you know, confinement uh, animal agriculture has hollowed out rural communities because as you so aptly demonstrated, fewer jobs means less money being spent in the community means less people want to stay there because there's less to do. It's, I mean, it's not a hard, you know, equation to parse out even for a math, you know, moron like me. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's just like, yes, A plus B does in fact equal C. What do you know? The hollowing out of rural areas though is, is a function too of just the incredible economies of scale that are, are evident in grain production as well. It's a it's a it's a combined. It wasn't just CAFOs that drove people out. It's sure. the entire structure and system of, of right. economies of scale that has has depopulated rural. And then you're getting into you're getting into, uh, you know, all of the export markets and the commodity trading and all of that jazz. Like, you know, like why, you know, the fact that we're growing 50 percent of our food to ship overseas, you know, in an era where water is becoming more and more of an issue. I, you know, all of it has to be changed. I mean, somehow somebody has to tackle this on a really big scale in terms of rethinking the entire system that we operate under right now. So anyway, gentlemen, on that note, I think I'm going to have to say uh, we'll call this a day. Um, Dave, uh, please do stay in touch and let me know how the other project that we've talked about before the show is going on. And um, is there anything else either one of you want to say about this? I mean, I don't mean to cut you off. I know I've talked a lot in this interview and I apologize for that. Um, But yeah, is there anything else, any, any closing remarks somebody would like to make? 
Dave, where can people see this report, by the way? Oh, well, the Nyman Ranch people own it, so they need to contact Nyman Ranch to get it. Okay, so that would be Alicia Laporte who sent it to me. So, yeah, okay. All right, guys, well, thank you so, so much for doing this. Uh, I wish you all the best in the holiday season and, you know, prosperity, health, goodwill, all of that good stuff. And um, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. I really appreciate your time today. Many thanks to Nyman Ranch for bringing this to my attention. And uh, thanks to my... Um, you know, my sponsor for, uh, you know, supporting the show. See you next week, folks. Until then. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.